Good morning. Happy 4th of July. How you guys doing? How many of y'all going to blow some stuff up later? All right. It's, it's what our founding fathers would have wanted. Awesome. Well, you're, this is the last week of our Warrior Series, and uh, we've been going through the life of David. How many of y'all enjoyed it? Y'all had a good time with it? Man, I got to be honest with you. Uh, I love David. You know, the, the Bible describes, God describes David as a person after God's own heart, as a man after God's own heart. And as we've been looking at David, we've been looking at David primarily from four different aspects. We saw David as a warrior. We saw David as a king. And we saw David as a friend. And today, we're going to see David in the light of a mentor. A mentor. Everybody say mentor. Mentor. What is a mentor? Well, um, mentor is just a fancy way of saying training somebody else. In fact, uh, the word mentor was originally a name. If you've ever uh, read any of like the, like Homer stuff, uh, mentor was a dude's name uh, from the. Life of David today. Thank you very much. I can stop yelling. So thanks. All right. All right. Our big idea today. All right. I know y'all didn't probably hear any of that, but I'm not going to repeat it. Our big idea today is this, that our children learn more from our actions than they ever do with our words. That our children learn more from our actions than our words. Let's all say that. Our children learn more from our actions than our words. 
You see, when we mentor, when we train, when we influence our children, guys and ladies, but especially men, they're going to learn a whole lot more from your actions than they ever will with your words. And we're going to see this illustrated um, very poorly in the life of David. If we're going to lead and mentor our children, then our words and our actions have to match up. How many of y'all are country? Y'all like country out there? Let me see your hands. All right, very good. Actually, quite a bit. Wow. All right, I got a wonderful country song that I'm not going to sing for you today, but we're going to listen to that's going to illustrate this big idea today for us. Watch this. Hey, little bear. Where'd you learn that song? You, Daddy. Oh, you ready to go? Okay. Town, just my boy and me With a happy meal in his booster seat Knowing that he couldn't have the toy Till his nuggets were gone A green traffic light turned straight to red I hid my brakes and mumbled under my breath His fries went a-flying and his orange drink covered his lap Well, in my four-year-old set of four-letter it started with S, and I was concerned. So I said, son, now where'd you learn to talk like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad, ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo, I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants, yeah. We got back home and I went to the barn I bowed my head and I prayed real hard Said, Lord, please help me help my stupid self The next shot of bedtime later that night Turning on my son Scooby-Doo night light he crawled out of bed and he got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes, folded his little hands, spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now where'd you learn to pray like that? He said, I've been I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. 
as tall as you are. By then I'll be strong as Superman. We'll be just like Hank. Won't we, Dad? When I can do everything you do. Cause I've been watching Our children are going to learn a lot more from watching us than they ever will listening to us. Um, before we just jump straight into the life of David, I want to just take a, just a quick side note and show you one verse from the New Testament that's going to illustrate the life of David today. And it's in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7, God is going to give us a principle that in a lot of ways is going to restate our big idea in a lot of ways in the life of David. In Galatians 6-7 says this, Don't be misled. What Paul is saying here is don't, don't tell yourself a lie. Don't think one thing. Don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always what? Reap what you sow. All right, now before we get crazy on this, you reap what you sow. Now that's talking in farmer's terms, all right? If you sow apple seeds, what will you get? Absolutely. If you sow orange seeds, and if you live in Florida, what will you get? You're going to get oranges, right? You're not going to put a, a carrot in the ground, a carrot seed in the ground, and get onions. It's just not going to happen. The law of the harvest simply says this, that whatever you put in the ground, you're going to get later and greater of the same kind. That the law of the harvest is later and greater. Everybody say that, later and greater, later and greater. So that whatever you do, not what you say, but whatever you do, you're going to receive back later and greater, later and greater. That you reap what you sow. Now, some people think this way. You know, okay, if I do something bad and I ask God to forgive me, then he forgives me and he removes all the consequences, right? The answer is no. Yes, God does forgive you. But there's always consequences for our actions. Now, follow me on this one. If I go up to a, a mean, ugly, nasty, tall, big, burly dude, and if I punch him in the gut, what is he going to do to me? He is going to hurt me. All right? He's probably going to punch me in the nose and break my arm. Now, after he beats me up and wipes the floor with my face, all right, um, if I go and I say, listen, I'm sorry, I kind of, you know, will you please forgive me? And he says, yeah, I forgive you. Uh, do I still have a broken arm? Do I still have a busted up face? Absolutely, because even though the dude has forgiven me, there are consequences to my actions, right? And we're going to see in the life of David, he's going to do something really stupid. And there, he's going to ask forgiveness, and God forgives him, but there are consequences to his bad choices, all right? So, 
we're going to see 2 Samuel chapter 11. Go ahead and turn there. It's page 242 in the One Church Bible. And we're going to see what happens when David makes a poor choice that it not only impacts the life of David, it impacts his entire family. Because the greater your influence, if you're a dad, you have a lot of influence, the greater your influence when you do something stupid, the more that stupid mistake will impact and influence many, many, many different people. Now, David has had the same problem that most guys have. He could not keep his eyes in front of his head and his pants zipped up. And we're going to see what happens when David made a bad choice. Impacts his family negatively forever. 2 Samuel chapter 11, we see that David is bored. Verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, David got out of bed. Now, okay, when does he get out of bed? Late one afternoon. This joker is bored. He, he, he's not where he's supposed to be. He gets out of bed late one afternoon and is walking on the roof of his palace. And as he looked out over the city, what does he notice? He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sends someone to find out who she was. And the servant told David, she is Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David sends someone to find out who she was. A lot of stuff going on here, and we're going to have to go through this very quickly because this is not the main point. But he's not where he's supposed to be. He's bored. He goes and he asks somebody, you know, he's only just window shopping right now. Nothing wrong with that in most guys' minds, right? I mean, hey, I mean, what's just a little look? And one of the things we've talked about recently at One Church, it never just ends with a little look, ever. So he gives us, he takes a little look, and then he takes another look, and then he starts gaping, staring. And then he acts on his looks. He asks his servant, hey, who is that person? And the servant goes and asks. And we find out that brings the servant brings Bathsheba back. And they have sex, and in verse 5, she gets pregnant. Uh-oh. I mean, this guy, Uriah the Hittite, he's not around because he's out fighting in David's battles and in David's army. And David's home board, and David gets this woman pregnant. Now, what does he do at this point? He has an option of coming clean between him and God and, and everybody. He says, you know what, I messed up, I screwed up, I sinned. And, and, I mean, he has the option of coming clean. Is that what he does? No, he doesn't. All right? He doesn't take that chance. So he, he gets a conspiracy. He tries to get Uriah to come home and sleeps with, with his own wife so that he can say it wasn't the child of David. But we find out Uriah, Uriah has a better character than David, and that doesn't happen quite the way David had planned. Now, David comes up with a plan. Okay, I'm going to move Uriah from where he is kind of doing his own thing, and I'm going to put him at the very front lines. And at the last minute, I'm going to send the, uh, uh, I'm, the Joab, the captain of my army, is going to pull back, and Uriah is going to be killed. So David plans Uriah's murder, and it happens exactly the way David has planned. 
So David has lusted, he's committed adultery, he's killed the husband to cover up his sin, and now he marries Bathsheba, and everything's going to be okay, right? I mean, think about it. I mean, nobody knows about it, right? Well, well, his servants know about it. Yeah, I guess that's right. Oh, and Joab, his commander of his army, oh, he knows about it. Yeah, so, okay. And Bathsheba knows about it. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, nobody else knows. I mean, what could go wrong, right? Oh, and by the way, God knows. You see, even if you're the best liar, even if you're the best at covering your tracks, one person besides yourself still knows. And it's God. David is getting ready to experience the law of the harvest because he is going to get back later and greater what he has been doing. Not what he's been saying, but what he has been doing. Fast forward a year later and move to chapter 12, verse 1. This is how the message it says this, because God knows. But God was not at all pleased with what David had done. So God sent Nathan to David. Nathan is a prophet. And God tells Nathan, listen, there's problems in Camelot. There's issues. I want you to go and I want you to confront David of his sin. And that is exactly what Nathan does. And after Nathan uses a brilliant word picture, David responds this, is, this way in verse 13. David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned. Those three words, he should have said that a year ago. In fact, if he would have come clean a year ago, I'm pretty sure that the consequences that he's getting ready to experience later and greater would have been much more diminished. But he tried covering his tracks. Look at this. I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan said, yes, but the Lord has what? Forgiven. Does the Lord forgive when we ask him to forgive us? You betcha. Yes, he does. God always forgives you. And look at this. And he says, you won't die for this sin. Now, what, what, is, what is God saying? Well, there's again, there's a principle going on here. Every time sin enters into something, it always brings death. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, here's the thing. In that day, in that age, there was laws that if somebody committed adultery, both the husband and the wife can be drug out into the streets and killed. So David could have died because of committing adultery, but David also did what to Uriah the Hittite? Had him whacked, right? Got him murdered. So in, in that day and age, guess David could have been killed for what he did to Uriah. So he had two counts of capital punishment going against him, and God said, you know what? I forgive you, and I am not, you're not going to die for this. You're not going to die for this. Great, Right? There's no consequences in, right? I mean, he's just off scot-free. Dear Jesus, please forgive me. I can go party this Friday night. Right? Is that what happens? No. Look at verse 10 and verse 11. Because of what you've done, I will cause your own what? Your own family will live by the sword because you have despised me by t taking Uriah's own wife to be your own. He says, I'm going to cause your household to rebel against you. And your family will be separated by the sword. And unfortunately, from this time point in David's life, he has very, very, very few happy moments in the rest of his life. Because he experiences something called later 
and greater. He experiences the law of the harvest. Now, let's talk about this briefly. Because some people say, well, did God curse David? I mean, did God say, okay, because you've done this, then, you know, I am going to cause this? I mean, God does cause things to happen. There are consequences. But I really do believe that God is just stating, restating our big idea. Because God knows something that we don't many times. And what God knows is this. That what we tell our children only amounts to about 1% of what they learn from us. And what they really learn is 99% of what we do from watching us. God is stating the point that, you know what? There are consequences to your actions, and you are the one who are going to bring the consequences on your own family. David was the reason. It wasn't God's fault. It was David's fault because David is mentoring his children. His children are watching David more than they're listening to David. And let me just say this. Your children are watching you more than they're listening to you. They are taking their cues from you, Dad. They are taking their cues from you, Mom. And if you have a cutting tongue, and if you gossip, and if you tear other people down, and Dad, if you have an explosive temper, and you yell, and you cuss somebody out because of they cut you off, don't be surprised when your children grow up Bad attitude, tearing people down, gossiping, cussing, and explosive anger. Don't be surprised. Even though you may be bringing them to church. Because you're going to have a bigger impact than we ever will. Because they're with you a whole lot more than they're with us. All right, now, now, when does these consequences take place? 20 years After this happened in chapter 12, 30 years, 40 years? Well, let's look at the next chapter. Let's look at the next chapter. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now David's son's Absalom, now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar, and Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. We have three children mentioned here. Absalom, Tamar, and Amnon. All three have the same daddy. His name is David. Now, Absalom and Tamar have the same mom, but Amnon has a different mom. It's the American family, right? Now, follow me on this one. Can you imagine the confusion of the messages that David's sons and daughters were receiving? David had 20 children from seven wives. Say that one more time. He had 20 children from seven wives. And all of the confusing messages that they experienced, not from David's mouth, but from David's actions. They had siblings, half-siblings, and sibling born to David's concubines, which are kind of like fancy prostitutes. They grew up in a household of sexual excess and lacking discipline. David never disciplined his children. And when, without any parental restraint, David's children were influenced more from David's actions than David's words. And David wrote a lot of words. Read the book of Psalms. 
he had great theology this way. His theology this way was a little jacked up. And his family suffered the consequences of it. So Amnon, let's go through this. Amnon was David's firstborn. And he falls in love with his half-sister. I mean, this is Jerry Springer stuff, right? This is stuff that happens in other states besides maybe East Tennessee. Throw that out there, all right? All right. Now, so Amnon, he longs and wants Tamar, his half-sister. And because Amnon is a spoiled brat and nobody ever tells him no, he just he's going to go after Tamar. Amnon, Amnon is getting, he, he's used to getting whatever he wants. So he develops a scheme to be able to sleep with his sister. And what happens through feigning some illness, you'll have to read it, Amnon rapes his half-sister, Tamar. Now, these events in 2 Samuel 13 are horrific. They're absolutely horrific. But think about it. Why did this happen? I mean, if you ever think, what was Amnon thinking? Well, he was just following his cues from his dad. Because David took what was not his. David saw something that attracted him, Bathsheba, and he went and he took it. And Amnon saw something that wasn't his, and he was attracted to, and went out and took his half-sister Tamar. He was learning from his dad. Because our actions always speak louder than our words. Now, we can't excuse Amnon's behavior here. He, he messed up, but he learned it from David. David's actions spoke louder than his words. And David is experiencing later and greater, and his family is suffering for it. Just as David lusted after Bathsheba, Amnon lusted after Tamar. Now, verse 20. Her brother Absalom, Tamar's brother Absalom, saw her and asked, Is it true what Amnon done? Has he been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet now. Since he's your brother, don't worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate, desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply of what he had done to his sister. Absalom absolutely loved his sister Tamar. But Absalom acted inappropriately. I mean, Tamar has suffered a terrible crime against her. And Absalom discovers his crime, and what does he say? Be quiet. Don't worry about it. Don't let it affect you. Just brush it off. i got to be honest with you. If you have suffered something like this, and if somebody said, you know, don't worry about it. Just let it just roll off of you. You need to know there's probably nothing more hurtful that somebody could ever say to you than something like that. And let me just say, Tamar was totally innocent of this. Just like if you have experienced something like this, you are totally innocent of it as well. But the best thing that we could do if something happens like this is not to say, maybe just quote a trite scripture or to say, you know, I'll just get over it. But just to weep with them and say, I, I love you. It's not your fault. I love you and I'm here for you. But Absalom totally acted inappropriately, and he said, don't talk about it. And you know what? Absalom took his own advice. For the next two years, he didn't talk about it. He didn't talk about anything of this. Absalom's suggestion, just keep it secret. Put it underneath the rug. Look at verse 23. 
Two years later, Absalom invites, invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. And Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk. Then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid. I am the one who's given the command. Take courage and do it. So at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. Two years later, after this rape, Absalom kills his own half-brother, Amnon. Now, what was Absalom thinking? Why did Absalom kill his half-brother? Well, think about it. He was only following the actions of his dad. Because just as David had killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, Absalom learned from his dad and killed his own half-brother. You see, our actions will speak louder than our words, and you will influence your children positively or negatively by how you live your life, not by what you tell them necessarily, but what you do, even when you don't think nobody's watching. That is huge. Now, where in the world is David in all this? Think about that. Where in the world is dad? Verse 21. When David heard what all that had happened, he was very angry. It says in verse 21. That's it? He got angry? That's it. I mean, where was David when Amnon raped Tamar? What did he do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What did David do when Absalom killed his half-brother Amnon? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. We found out later that Absalom tries taking over the entire kingdom. What did David do? Absolutely nothing. Classic male passivity. I mean, where is the warrior that we saw? who went up against this nine-foot, nine-inch-tall Goliath. Where was this man of action? Well, his head has been out of the game for a long time. He is not the same man he used to be. And his actions show it. These kids have raised raised themselves without any discipline or any authority. But think about it. I mean, what type of house did David provide for his family? What type of house? Think of it. He's a king, so where is he living? He's living in a palace. You see, this is what we think, guys. Well, I'm providing for my family, right? I mean, that's where we all go because we are providers. God has created us with that. And look what I've provided for them. I mean, I'm just not giving them a home. This is a palace. They just... Yeah, I mean, they have Nintendo 64, but they also have PS3 and Xbox. They even have Wii. I mean, we've got boats. We, we have a vacation home in Hebron. I mean, we have all of this stuff. Look how I've provided for my family. That's what we say. That's kind of what David was thinking. But our children don't need our money. Our children don't need boats. Our children don't need the gifts that we give them. Our children, they don't even need as much a house over their head as they do a dad who is involved in their life. 
David was an absent father. And the little they did learn from David, they learned from his actions and not his words. And your children will do the same. If you have an explosive temper, but you come and you sing wonderful praise songs on Sunday morning, they're going to learn the four-letter words quicker than they are the choruses that we sing in here. Because they are going to follow what you're doing. And God knew this. And God said, because of what you have done, they're going to do because they're going to follow you. It's later and it's greater. This is huge. This is important. All right, as we close. Guys, I know some of you here today. I know some of you here today. You have messed up. You have made poor choices. You have made bad decisions. Maybe like David's, and maybe you weren't on a rooftop. But maybe exactly like David. I mean, you ever wondered, why didn't David just step in and discipline his children? Why didn't David step in and just say, you know what? Stop doing this. And the reason why David didn't do that is the same reason you and I don't do it when we screw up. Because we feel like a failure. We feel like a hypocrite. And because they learn more from what seeing than listening, we feel like, well, maybe I just shouldn't say anything. Maybe I shouldn't do anything. Maybe I shouldn't give them any consequences. But two wrongs doesn't make a right. Just because you screwed up in the past doesn't mean you need to be sidelined now. You hear me? You see, some of you, you have been allowing your children to raise themselves because you screwed up 10 years ago, 11 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And you need to know that God can forgive you. He does forgive you. There are consequences, yes. But you need to get up off the sidelines, men, and you have got to mentor your children. It is your responsibility, not your wife's. It is your responsibility. So if you're here today, you need to know that if you screwed up, if you went to Jesus Christ and you've asked him to forgive you, he has. Now you need to move on. Yes, there will be consequences, but you need to move on. You need to stop looking at the past and you need to start looking towards the future and you need to get your head in the game and you need to be with your children. You need to act and you need to say the right things and you even more importantly need to do the right things because they're going to follow you. Last thing I want to say about this. Again, if you're like this, maybe you've screwed up like David and you have made restitution, you've tried making it right, I want to say this, because this is very, very, it's very emotional. But wives, forgive him. You see, in a moment of heated argument, if you keep on bringing up something that happened 15 years ago in his life, have you really forgiven him? No, you haven't. If every time in a moment of heated argument, if you accuse him, 
quick question. I mean, do you know the most common name used for Satan and one of the most popular names used for Satan in the Bible? The accuser. Don't do the work of Satan, ladies. If he has changed his ways, if he has repented, and what that means is instead of going this way, you go another way. You forgive him and you continue to work on it. But men, let me tell you this. If you don't lead your family, Satan will. If you choose not to lead your family, Satan will lead your family. You don't believe me? Read Genesis chapter 3. If you've not been in church for a while, you don't probably know that story. You ought to go home and read it. But Satan will take control of your family if you don't. So men, all of us, and I'm including myself because the last time I'm a check, I'm a man. Let's all of us get up off the sidelines and tell, start doing and saying what God has called us to do and say. Can we agree to do that? Men, let me see your heads. Can we agree to do that? All right, let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, I pray for us as men. Lord, that just as we've seen in the life of David, somebody who's, who's been blessed by God so much, Lord, that it just, Lord, you called him a man after your own heart. How he could screw up so royally. And Lord, all of us do so many times. Lord, so many times we can be the man who, just like David, we can not be passive on our jobs and we can kill giants all day long. But Lord, when we get home, we become passive. I don't know. I don't care. Lord, I pray that us as men would stand up in our homes and that we would lead our family. Lord, that we would lead our family. And Lord, the great thing about that is men is that we've not been doing it up to this point that we start doing it now. Lord, just one of the things that I, I read this past week that, that just amazed me, God, this statistic. That when, that when a woman brings her children to church, they have a one in 50 chance of coming back to church and growing up in church all of their life. But that when a man brings his children to church, they have a one in three chance of staying in church all of their life. That we as men, God, we have influence over our family. And that can be a positive thing or a negative thing. So the question is, guys, as we're continuing praying, are we going to make that commitment? Are we going to be the first one out of bed on Sunday morning saying, let me get the children ready for church? Or are we just going to say, you know, I don't need church today. It's hot. I'd rather go to the lake. And I, you know what? I, we'll, we'll catch the podcast. We'll watch it on video as a family. Are we going to lead our families? Are we going to lead our families, men, as we, in the evenings or in the mornings or sometime during the day, we open up our Bibles and we get close to God. We can't lead our family where we have not been ourselves. And God, I pray that you would allow this church to be filled with men who aren't wusses. Lord, that you would allow this church to be filled with men who will say, I will spend time with God every day. 
even if I don't get anything out of it that day, I'm going to spend time with God and then I'm going to tell my family what I've learned. Lord, I pray that it starts with us. Lord, I pray that it starts with me. I pray that it starts in my family. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.